Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices, the podcast dedicated to everything product security. So our guest today is uh, Felipe Fernandez, uh, cybersecurity manager at uh, Jaguar Land Rover, talking about a dream workplace, right? Um, so he's an expert in all things automotive cybersecurity, from RF systems to IoT and embedded hardware design. Y- you name it, he's, he's done it. He's also used to be the head of uh, vehicle cybersecurity uh, Latin America at, at uh, Fiat Chrysler. So he, he knows his stuff. Let's put it like that. Uh, Felipe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. So before we get to the cyber stuff, let's start with a question everybody's asking themselves right now. Uh, what's your favorite Jaguar Land Rover car? Yeah, so it's a good question. So after you start to work and start to release more and more products, it's very hard to select uh, only one, right? But I can tell you that is the I-Pace because when I received the invitation to come here to work and move from Brazil to Ireland and, and UK, and I, I could uh, watch uh, a documentary telling how the iPace was uh, developed. So it was really a game change for the company, a company that has more than 100 years of history and uh, a good background. And now the mechanical department and engineers and things like that and move from this kind of uh, uh, technology to a electrified one was a big jump. And watching that documentary, I could see how they could uh, pass all the challenge. And I start to enjoy the vehicle, right? Uh, the first edition was more a prototype than a vehicle. But uh, when I, I came here and I start to have contact with the vehicle and and when you start to drive a full electric vehicle, mainly uh, some, uh, something that is, has this kind of sport DNA and now the power uh, that it has and the slow latency between you press the pedal and you feel the acceleration. So it's, it's amazing. And, and today I have one iPace that the company uh, gave me. So it's, it's a really pleasure to to see how the things were developed, and then you start to use the product. Right. Wow, that's great. So uh, we discussed earlier a little bit about um, you know the initial steps that you had taken into cybersecurity, and um, I'm interested to hear you know a little bit more about that. How you got into automotive specifically? Why you chose to be in the automotive space? Uh, and also, you know. What was it that the people around you were saying about that? You know, the fact that you were moving into cybersecurity, uh, was it something that people looked at as being, let's say, I don't know, a little bit out there or, you know, something that, um, you know, stretched the imagination of, of computers into a space where, you know, you're out there fighting the hackers from the dark net or from, you know, 
nation states coming in and trying to attack cars or or like we talked about some of the younger people who are coming in and trying to uh, you know use their research in order to find vulnerabilities that are out there. Yeah, so I think that I have not only one reason to join the automotive business. So the city that I was born, uh, Belo Horizonte in Brazil, uh, Fiat is a very important uh, company, let's say like that. So it has more than 30,000 people working because this is the biggest factory uh, from FCA, talking about the volume of vehicles, manufacturing, and not only the, the volume, but also the mix, different vehicles in the same line. And historically, my family, for example, my father worked there as a, a test driver, and my father-in-law also worked there as a mechanical technician. So it is like a dream to join a big company for all the people living in that place. We have different areas like mining and so on, and automotive business is a, a good area with a, a, a very good company to join. And uh, as I was explaining, I always have interest about the security area. But one thing is you, during your teenage, high school, enjoy that kind of subject and, and work in specific small projects. Or as I was telling you, that when I was supporting my father in a small business with a few security activities and so on, and in the reality, uh, we, you cannot realize that someday you're going to put these two things together, right? So I, I always like this kind of uh, software environment that you can see working like, because, for example, when you are, you are developing like a website or some kind of thing like that, uh, you cannot materialize the code that you are writing. The embedded side, it's, it's really nice because you can, in the end of the day, see uh, some physical stuff working with the code that you could write. And uh, I always try to join this kind of uh, company. So as I, I, I was telling you, I joined that company implementing or developing uh, embedded device to do electronic payment and the security was related. And when I received the, the invite to join the automotive business, even outside the security area, I, I did it because it was some, some specific business that I liked. And as soon as I arrived there, I could understand that I could uh, put the two things together, the automotive and the security, because the security was present, right? Initially, we had the traditional security, mobilizer, alarms, and things like that. Uh, but finally, uh, with all the connectivity and all the automobiles, uh, functionalities that we are we are bringing out to be embedded in our vehicles. Uh, I could realize my dream to work with cybersecurity, apply to embedded system, and this embedded system is the automotive system. So uh, I I was very lucky to be honest and and reach this kind of situation. So I'm curious because as we all know, automotive security teams vary greatly in terms of their maturity. Right, some are just starting out. Some are much more mature and you, knowing the work that, that you're doing, uh, I know you're more on, on the innovative side for sure. So I'm curious uh, if you can share with us what's the most innovative initiative you are now part of uh, at JLR or, or elsewhere with regards to cybersecurity. So I think, as you described, now the teams are more mature. We have more good professionals with uh, good experience and the companies are uh, doing the right investment now. They are worried about all the, the cybersecurity problems. Finally, we, we, we are starting to have 
uh, a specific legislation that are going to help the user to have uh, good products that they can rely, that are secure. Uh, but when I'm talking about automotive, mainly if you are in a, in a very traditional uh, company with more than 100 of years of life, let's say like that, you, you have a lot of people with mechanical heads and to explain those mechanical heads about electronics is a challenge and then software is more complicated and now cybersecurity on top of software is a big challenge. So we can have areas that you can see this maturity, mainly the areas uh, when you have some kind of external connectivity. But now that we are bringing, for example, uh, more autonomous functionalities and things like that, if you go to the lower level, we keep uh, with a big challenge to bring the minimum of security controls, right? But definitely, we cannot forget about the innovation and all the things that are coming in our direction. So, for example, now we are implementing some kind of key management system, embedded key management system, in order to fulfill all the new use cases that are coming in our direction and also looking the legislation. But in the same time, we need to think that the post-quantum challenge is, is right uh, in our way. So I'm, I'm trying to bring this kind of innovation work with universities, and we have also an internal uh, department of research. And it's a challenge to bring the people that are researching to something that the industry can, can use. Instead, we stay just researching new uh, encryption me mechanisms, things like that. So we know that we have big entities already doing that. So the challenge is how can we use all this knowledge that is going to be produced by external entities and bring to our reality? How can we have a plan to move from our current situation to a situation that I can protect my products my product against this kind of uh, post-quantum situation, right? And the same thing about, for example, intrusion detection system. Uh, we have many products uh, being offered to the OEMs, but is 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 a big challenge to separate uh, a just uh, driver behavior from uh, some kind of intrusion. And the problem is, if you detect something, and that something can be a false positive. Are you going to tell the driver? Are you going to tell uh, the, the company? How are you going to react? So it is something that we need to spend more uh, energy as well. And we are doing that. So we are introducing step by step some kind of uh, ways to uh, get information from the vehicle, understand if something is happening, and how we are going to react if that something is, is a misbehavior that you can identify across the fleet of vehicles. And the challenges are not only with the technology because the companies are now under pressure to release the products in a, in a shorter timeline with more and more functionality. And we are moving from the traditional way to develop products in the automotive business using all the waterfall and the V to this new uh, agile environment in order to, to be a tech company. But Sometimes you can have some contradiction between the agile mindset and all the uh, all the way that you use to protect the vehicles. And if you see all the standards that we have today, they are not prepared, full prepared for the agile world. So how can we 
collect those standards and adapt to our agile uh, mindset or agile model to develop products. It is something that we are putting a lot of energy to understand as well. Right. That's fascinating because if you think of uh, even, you know, software companies or app companies, even they have trouble making sure, you know, their products are secure in a continuous agile environment. So when you think of manufacturers, it's it's much more apparent, right? Because there are processes and, and the processes take time and you need to build a product. And if you try to look at that with the amount of changes that are happening all the time, it becomes really, really crazy. So how do you deal with it? How do you, how do you think product security teams should, should uh, prepare for that? This is a good question because as I was explaining, all the people that are coming to, to support or to lead this kind of digital transformation, right? They are coming with this uh, uh, mindset, okay, let's move because now we need to be a tech company and so on. But if you think about a tech company like Google, Android can carry thousands of vulnerabilities. And okay, you, sometimes you can have big problems to expose some, some uh, user data or something like that, but you're not going to, to kill someone for one vulnerability. And our environment is a little different. We are developing products that are going to be on the streets and in a, in a speed that is not so, so low. So you can, you can kill uh, our customer, you can uh, kill people that are on the street. The mindset is different, right? And to find the right balance is a challenge. So in my opinion, we need to have some kind of cybersecurity core, uh, a team that can keep working to understand all the best practices and to support the entire company. And that team doesn't need to be specifically working this kind of very fast transformation and, and this kind of very restrictive methodology and things like that. But we need to help all the different product owners across the company to understand that they are the main person in charge to make sure that their products are going to be secure. So they must be accountable. And then the cybersecurity team, that core, is going to support uh, all of them in this journey. A good thing that is happening is the functional safety uh, started this kind of work in advance. So the way that the guys are applying the functional safety ISO, uh, ISO 26262, and how they are moving from the old V model to the waterfall, so you can find a lot of good material and we can reuse that kind of approach in our uh, ISO 21434 because we can see that they are similar and uh, the functional safety and cybersecurity are going to match with each other in some situations. And, and then we can reuse what the guys are learning in our cybersecurity area, as I said, with a core that is going to design the process, methodology, best practices, technology. And then we can uh, help the POs to be accountable and help the POs to bring all the good practices and their QBRs and their uh, uh, documentation and make sure that, okay, you're going to be fast, you're going to be uh, agile, but you're not going to forget good documentation. You're not going to forget 
uh, a good validation, uh, perform pen tests, and things like that. Right. That, that's really interesting because one of the things we've been hearing about agile manufacturing and trying to get products out very quickly is also the issues that arise in the supply chain. So for example, in many industries today, there are delays in receiving components and supply is also because of the pandemic. Uh, and so often the manufacturers have to go to new suppliers that maybe they haven't vetted as well as the trusted suppliers they used in the past. And then they have to really uh, look into the security of those components and the software and firmware that are running those components. So that's one of the challenges that we're hearing. And I'd be interested um, to know what you know what you see as the main challenges today that the security teams are facing, the product security teams, uh, and how the teams should solve them. And I'll include in that one more possible challenge in, in addition to the supply chain, the whole area of OTA and um, OTA service that's now becoming a huge industry. And, you know, the, I wrote a blog recently which talked about how my personal concern is that when you upgrade a computer, for example, it could be 20 minutes after you've done the upgrade and you get a blue screen and the computer stops. Well, imagine you've done that upgrade over the air in a car, <laughs> in a vehicle, and you're on the road, as you said, at high speed, and the vehicle stops. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there are two concepts that are important to help us to face the, this kind of challenge. So the first one is about the bill of material. It is a concept that uh, we are using the hardware environment for a long time. In my time as a hardware engineer, uh, generally, you used to deal daily with this kind of situation, uh, a supplier just ringing you and, and saying, okay, I don't have this resistor, I don't have this IC, I need to replace uh, for a new one, different supplier. And you are thinking, okay, I'm going to sell this product that's going to be uh, being used by my, 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 my customer in the next 10 years. So I need to be fast to take this kind of decision, but at the same time, take a decision that I can rely. So the harder things used to be prepared in advance to understand, okay, if I have this problem with this specific component, what are the, 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 the alternatives? Talking about suppliers, about part numbers and things like that. So I think that the same concept is coming to the software uh, area with the S view of material, the software view of material. So the cybersecurity teams must be prepared to understand how we are going to manage the software that is coming from our suppliers. And it must start since the day one, the RFQ process. So uh, we should have a kind of, of agreement between the OEM and the suppliers about transparency and to share this kind of information in a regular way. But in order to track this information, because it's a lot of data, uh, we need to have two things. One, people available because it is, it, it is always a problem in the company today. The companies are trying to do more with less people, uh, optimize the cost and things like that. So you need to have uh, uh, dedicated people to track this kind of supply chain and uh, management, right? And the second thing is automatize the process. Bring tools to help you. Don't try to manage this kind of stuff using Excel files and things like that because it's going to be unmanageable. And we can find uh, good tools today to support us in this kind of activity. 
And even if you cannot uh, find the specific tool, we need to uh, research, bring the software guys to help us because if you have a process established by tools, if you need to change the process, it's easy. Just change the, the tool behavior. If you are establishing a process using all the legacy stuff, uh, Excel files and things like that, you are in trouble to change the process. So it is one thing. Uh, about your second point, to receive a software update and how the, the vehicle is going to uh, behave if you have a problem, things like that. So we need to start to bring some important concept that we used to have in the functional safety uh, in ACU level to the vehicle level, right? How can we have some kind of process that can allow us to do some kind of buffer of the old software? And then if you have a problem, you can come back to the previous one and do it in a secure way to avoid uh, some kind of backdoor. And also we need to implement some kind of uh, degradation strategy. So if I start to see some kind of uh, misbehavior and one vehicle, if I have, or if I have a vehicle uh, SOC, uh, Security Operation Center, and I'm seeing some kind of misbehavior in a, across multiple different vehicles, how can I start to remove feature by feature in order to prioritize the user safety, but at the same time, keep allowing him to drive the car? Because I, I cannot just prioritize the safety to turn off everything because my user can be in a situation that going with someone to the hospital or running away from, from a, a, a specific situation. So I need to prioritize uh, uh, the vehicle minimum functionality to allow him to keep using the product, but at the same time, protecting against this kind of attack. So that's interesting. That's like going to a system restore breakpoint, if I'm thinking about software running a computer, but, but not taking over the computer uh, and enabling them to keep going while, you know, leaving certain functionality going while you're able to check to see, you know, what might have gone wrong or might, what might be going wrong with a recent update. Exactly. It's a good comparison. So I'm curious, you know, if we take it to the more uh, functional level, is there a security tool or method you recently discovered that is worth mentioning to our listeners? Something that really made your life easier or, or made your process better? Yeah, definitely. We, we have some kind of uh, tools that are coming. So uh, tools to verify the vulnerability and to verify, for example, the open source libraries, if they are updated or not. And in the beginning, those tools are, are good, but they are not so helpful because they are, could show you some kind of information, but in a very old style and you need to, to dig a lot of data in order to understand what was happening. And those tools are getting better and better and better. And now you can integrate in your pipeline, you can... Uh, for example, go to sleep during the night in a, in a low, and, and the tool is going to continue uh, looking your code and, and find the vulnerabilities and give you a report in the morning, and then you can fix and, and continue doing like that. So we have uh, a lot of companies like Sabilium that are doing this kind of innovation. Too. That's great. So with all your experience, uh, it'd be really interesting to hear What's the most amazing, unbelievable moment? The moment you said, wow, uh, you know, in your experience in the cybersecurity world? Uh, I, I have many of them that we can, we can mention. So every time that you can discover how uh, a hacker is doing something, and then you can close that uh, door 
is, is, a, is a good moment. And when you go with your team to investigate and see how the people are doing uh, the bad things, right? And, and sometimes it's just because the supplier uh, was trying to, to make uh, their life easy, leaving some kind of uh, comments to read the information, extract all the information. And then you can see all your secret codes uh, leaking. And it's really good to uh, capture this kind of situation. And then you have the information to help your supplier to uh, protect your product. So do you have any practical tips for uh, product security teams in 2022? Anything they should keep an eye on? Sure. So as we know, we are going to start to have specific legislation, starting with the UNC-155. And this year, we have an important milestone to have uh, all the OEMs compliant about the, the CSMS, the Cybersecurity Management Process. One important tip is don't try to build a process without the people that are going to use that process. Because what I have seen before, very good process designed from the cybersecurity perspective, but designed in an isolated way. And then when the people start to run uh, uh, a product development, that process is not going to fit in, that, uh, in their reality. And then they're going to uh, find a way to jump your process. And then if you don't have, let's say, the security sensors across your company, you're going to lose uh, important opportunities to mitigate a problem. Yeah, if there's one thing I, I, I'm taking from this conversation is that you know, product security has to be a collaborative effort and, and we have to, to make sure we balance it. There's just no other way to actually get it done. So, Felipe, on that, on that note, it's been an honor to have you here. Really, I, I personally learned a lot. David has as well. So, so thank you and wish you all the best. I'm sure you're going to do great things down the line. So thank you. I look forward to visiting and uh, having a ride in your car. Ah, definitely. It will be a pleasure. So I also would like to say thank you guys for the opportunity to be here and share uh, some experience, some good histories with you guys. And uh, it is also a pleasure. And definitely our area is going to, to be a, a very good area. It, it is a good area. And now we are going to get in a more exciting times because uh, now the vehicles are finally getting more connected, more autonomous, and cybersecurity we are seeing across the world. Young people without any specific uh, training, just going to the internet and learning can do a lot of bad things. So I think that for young people that are listening to this kind of conversation, if you have the interest, it's a very good career and it's going to grow more and more. So consider to join us and help us to protect the vehicle. Thank you very much. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.